Uh, welcome to the uh, Family Discipleship Program today, and we would like to begin with a word of prayer. Uh, kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for the desire that I'm sure we all have to serve you better and represent you rightly in our families. Please bless the speaker. I pray that all that is shared would be just seeds planted to help us to go back and implement them and help our families to grow and mature to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good afternoon, everyone. And it's my pleasure to be here to present this uh, uh, seminar with you. And this is actually a, a dream come true for me because um, I came all the way from California last uh, August. I've been there for more than 25 years. And I've been a uh, family advocate, family minister for the past 30 years. Uh, my background, of course, is in the field of theology to begin with. Got my MD, and then I had my uh, PhD in marriage and family studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. And ever since then, having studied psychology for 10 years, I uh, really came to realize the value of the Bible much more than ever before. And Bible does have all the answers that we need. Amen. But I didn't have the foresight. I didn't have the eyesight. I didn't have the perspective uh, to look for it from the Bible in a way that's relevant and meaningful for us. So I appreciate psychology in that it gave me two things. It gave me the perspective that I need to have and, and knowing what to look for. And then secondly, psychology gave me the language to interpret and explain the Bible in such a way that people can get it, you know? And so, um, do you have your sheets with you? Okay. And I termed our seminar called Family Discipleship Training Program 101, and which means that uh, we have, what, much more to come later on. And we can only do so much, you know, for the next, what, five sessions. Uh, together with you, but knowing that all of you are extremely interested in the field of uh, family discipleship, and meaning that we want our family to be a context for discipleship, right? And we want to make sure that we use uh, relational arena as, as a place where we truly experience the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I can honestly tell you that for the past 20 some years of my life, I found, I found biblical truth and biblical knowledge and together with the grace of God has been the greatest source when it comes to giving me tools for evangelism. Yeah, and, and so then with that, I've been able to go to Malaysia. I'm going to Malaysia this uh, next month. Uh, to train people for family discipleship uh, because uh, there's a lot of Muslims out there. But, you know, when I talk about relationship, no one get offended, you know. And last time when I had a meeting over there, uh, they were saying that we're going to have about maybe, uh, if we have 50 people, it's going to be great. But guess how many people came? 250 people came. And then more than 80% of them were non-Christian, unchurched people, you know, anti-Christianity people. And those people came because what? They were hurting. They were broken. 
they were needing healing from some sort in their lives. And then they came and they found, you know, great truth from the Word of God. And so I find, I find um, you know, this family discipleship is a great way uh, to, to, to really to be used as a tool for evangelism in a very powerful way. So um, if you look at the program that we have it together, uh, today is going to be the most important time of our, um, you know, five days together because I'm laying down the foundation, foundation for what our ministry is all about, um, you know, what, uh, what family discipleship is all about. I'm going to lay down the foundation using one scripture, two scripture actually, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So we need to build this foundation pretty solid, right? Yeah, and so... Um, we may uh, we may involve more discuss I mean the talking and sharing today than other days and then Tuesday um, based on, based upon Monday's discussion we're going to talk about understanding gender differences uh, from the Word of God um, and then I'm going to tie that with Ephesians chapter five verse thirty three and how we are created differently and how we are supposed to get along and how we're supposed to understand each other. Not only that, how we're supposed to make a team uh, with, with each other. You know what I mean? Instead of making an enemy or being falling apart from one another or becoming uh, apathetic toward one another. But how can we be passionate about not only about God but about each other? My wife and I, we've been married for the past 32 years. And I can honestly tell you that we are much more in love now than ever before. And because ever getting better principle that you find in Jesus Christ. That's something I'm going to share tomorrow from my own personal experience. And Wednesday is going to be very fascinating. We're going to do a uh, color code personality test. It's going to only take 15 minutes for you to take that test. It's not going to be complicated, okay? You just take that test. If it takes more than 15 minutes, I already know your personality. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, we're going to take that, and then that, that personality test is something that you can use uh, with your children, with your husband, with other people you work with, your coworkers. I mean, it gives you a great tool for understanding people, understanding yourself to begin with. I mean, particularly multifaceted personality that we have. Personality is not simple. I mean, there's a motivational level, there's strength and demerit, and there's also... Uh, communication style is different by different personalities. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And no wonder, per, you know, communication gets really difficult because you have like gender difference and then cultural difference, right, for some couple. And then plus you have what? You have personality difference that gets added into the complexity of personality, um, the communication. And Thursday, we're going to talk about process of healthy marriage. Um, the reason why I talk about it is that, and I'm sure you, you figured that out by now, but <laughs> 90, 90, more than 95% of marriage problems stemming from where? You see? You see, when I first got married, when I first got married, I thought, you know what? Before I got married, I had no problem, right? <laughs> you, you know, right? Right? <laughs> right? So, so then I said, after I got married, you know, I began to all kinds of problems so that the problem must have come from what? Them. My spouse. 
that's when you argue with each other as to who's right, who's wrong, and all that. But, but you, I came to realize that more than 90% of marriage problems stemming from your own unresolved issues of the past. That's mind-boggling to me. That's why there is a need for awareness. So much need for awareness. And that's why we're going to go back and talk about childhood patterns that, that may still linger in our lives. <laughs> but, but don't worry about it. Because Jesus knows it. So, so he says what? We are all his, we are all his children. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about that. And then if we have more time, I have bonus classes too. So it's like you get so excited. It's like, hey, Dr. Um, can we spend more time studying together? Then I have like one more class that I set aside if there is any encore for the class. <laughs> so that's so much for that. And there's just so much we can cover. And if I get a chance to spend more time with you, hopefully next time, my goal is to go to um, Genesis, I mean, John chapter 1, verse 14. So this time, our scripture is going to be Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So by the end of our five sessions, you're going to walk away. My goal is for you to walk away appreciating that passage so much. And actually, that passage, understanding and interpreting and dissecting that particular two passages gave me doctorate. <laughs> so I spent my entire life on those passages, and I'm writing a book about those two passages. The Bible is so powerful, so powerful. And then, and then if I get a chance, I'm going to talk about John chapter 1, verse 14, and that there's just so much in there. Okay? So with that introduction, let's go to our study together. And before we go on, I would like to give you maybe a couple of minutes, maybe two, three minutes together, two, three minutes together, two by two, uh, if you're able, and just take a moment to uh, kind of get acquainted. Um, you already know each other. <laughs> so, so then this is what we will do. Let's just get up a little bit and switch partners if it's possible, okay? Yeah. And then maybe three people, maybe... Um, you can have three people too, I mean, if you want to, okay? Yeah. And three and three. Three and three. Okay. Yeah. Three and three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just sit around there. Don't go, don't go too far right there. And then take a moment, be seated, and get acquainted with each, with each other with this question. How do you resemble your parents, the mother or the father, or both, in what ways? Inwardly, outwardly. Okay? How do you resemble your parents? Okay? Okay, let's, let's get together now to continue with our discussion. That one way or the other, there's a resemblance that we find in our relationship with our parents. And, uh, you know, even for me, like, uh, I look more like my mom, but uh, my voice sounds like my dad. And then my father was a pastor, so the more I do things, and my wife tells me, you look like your dad, you act like your dad. <laughs> and, 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 and so uh, the reason why we did the exercise to just gives us a glimpse of how all of us, as humanity, we resemble our Lord, our God, you know. 
Because the scripture that we uh, discussed today says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He created man according to his image and created a man and a woman. I'm going to just go through it briefly, something that you might know already about the image of God. It tells us that all of us as humanity, whether we believe in God or not, okay, whether we're Christian or not, we all share these common things, four things that I can point out. Number one, all of us are created by the what? Same image of God. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's what makes us to be human. You know what I mean? We resemble God. And so I want to tell you today is that there's a difference between being religious and being spiritual. You know what I mean? Sometimes religion has a way of dividing people, right? But the spirituality has everything to do with being in touch with the, uh, the humanity, humanness, the way that God has designed me to be. You know what I mean? I can, I can talk with monk. I can talk with, I grew up talking to monk a lot in Korea because those monks were very handsome people. You know what I mean? Tall and handsome, those monks. <laughs> and then I would talk to them, and then I would get in touch with his humanness. And then when he's in touch with my own humanness, when our humanness come together, going beyond any religious differences and so forth, there's something that pull us together as humanity. Why? All of us are made by the what? Image of God, same image of God. It has to do with restoring what? Humanity. Okay? Christianity has everything to do with restoring what? Humanity. The more we become like God, the more we become what? Someone can finish the sentence. The more we become like, that, like God, the more we will be like what? Each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The more we become like God, the more we become the kind of human being the way that God has designed us to be. If our religion, if our religion makes us to be inhumane, yeah. in an effort to be divine, there's something wrong along the way. So true. Right? Yes. We cannot lose what it means to be human. Because what it means to be human is all about pursuing after God. It's the more we become like God, the more we become the kind of people that God has designed us to be as what? As human beings. You see, when we truly be human, that's what's going to attract people to us. Even in our relationship with our children. You know, there's got to be a point where like, we're more than religious. We're more than anything else. But what? Meeting them on a human level. Human to human. That's so powerful. And to me, that's what it means. When we truly be human, that's what it means to be spiritual. Amen? Mm -hmm. Amen. We're going we're gonna to continue to talk about that. Secondly, created to share the what? Same spiritual position in Christ and inheritance and the inheritance of God. I didn't say roles. Roles may be different as man and woman. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But created to share the same spiritual position as, as heirs of God, as children of God, and so forth. And thirdly, created. This is important. That's why we do family ministry here. Because we, all of us are created to be what? Fulfilled by God as what? Spiritual beings. All of us are made to be fulfilled by God. So the more we pursue after Him, 
the more we know what kind of human being we need to be, uh, in Him we find who we are as humanity, and the more we discover who I need to be, who I am called to be, then we'll be in touch with what it means to be spiritual, and then that's what's going to fulfill us. Mm -hmm. We need to be fulfilled as a being, not by doing. Mm. Do you see the difference? We need to be just happy with what? Being. Who we are, made to be. Rather than try to do something, try to perform, try to, you know what I mean? Meet the expectations and whatnot. There's just so profound understanding there. Each has God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. Amen? And Pascal said. And then fourthly, we all know this. Create, we, all of us are created to grow toward each other as each grow toward God. And this, therefore, God is the beginning of our relationship and God is the pointer in our lives and we need to begin with Him, we need to end with Him and He needs to be the ultimate pursuit of our lives which will allow us to be drawn to each other in a way that's going to be life-changing. Uh, one more thing I want to share before I go on is the fact that we all know that as Seventh-day Adventists we believe that God is in Trinity, right? God the Father and Jesus the Son and then what? Holy Spirit. And it's called, it's called triangling relationship. Triangling relationship. Three in one Godhead. God the Father and Son and, and Jesus Christ and then the Holy uh, Spirit. But isn't it interesting that on a human level, on a human level, triangling relationship represents what? The conflictual relationship. The kind of relationship you don't want to be part of. So I, I, would, I, gave like, I would give like you know, uh, three examples here. On the top, mother, right? And then on the left-hand side, you see what? You see the son. Uh, I, I'm sure it exists in, in any cultures as well. So mother and son, and then son got married and has a wife. Okay? Do you see that? And it's called what? It's called what? It's called in-law problem. <laughs> okay? So in-law issues is the subject and theme for Korean drama. You know that, right? Right? <laughs> okay? And then why do we create? Why do we end up having in-law problem? Why? Because what's interesting is that this mother... Even though he, you know, he may have a husband and whatnot, he's not, she's not emotionally connected to her husband. And therefore, she is emotionally, what? Emotionally married to her son. Emotionally. Emotionally. And, and, and there is no room, there is no emotional room for anybody else to what? Wedge in. <laughs> and there's a bloody fight going on mm -hmm. okay until someone's death bloody fight going on between mother and the wife okay daughter-in-law in order to the mother would not give up her space in his life while she's trying to do everything she can she will utilize manipulations do you know how many manipulation tactics that Eve had handed down to all the women in the world? Mercy. <laughs> okay, let's not get into that. <laughs> and then, so she would do everything she could, right? 
you know, mustering her courage and wisdom and all that to try to enter into the, you know, enter into the relationship and to find space for her marriage while her mother is not willing to give up any of the space to share that, any of that with her. And that's called what? Triangling relationship. Okay? That's something that, that's something that's really, really hard to deal with. And then, secondly, between husband and wife fighting over the alignment with the, with the child. You know, they, they, want to, they want their child to be sided with, with one over the other. And that gets pretty, pretty um, you know, messy. And then, thirdly, you know, when three people get together, three friends get together, it's usually the case what? <laughs> Two against one, right? And that's why three children are not good, they said. <laughs> so usually two, two against one. You, know, you, you hardly see three of them getting along, and that's, that's going to be heaven, right? <laughs> and so there is a triangling relationship. And then this is one of the most heart-wrenching and heartbreaking experience between husband and wife. There's what? Someone else. Whatever, however the way you want to call it extramarital relationship and whatnot, another person in that relationship. So on a human level, on a human level, what's interesting is that triangular relationship represents conflict, represents dysfunction, represents chaos and very destructive relationship. However, when it comes to God, this, this fascinates me, when it comes to God, triangling relationship that they have amongst Godhead represents what? Represents what? Perfect relationship. Amen? And so I, I was kind of getting curious as to, hey, how in the world three Godhead come together and then make it so good for the past how many years? Who knows how many years? 6,000 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? They had 6,000 years of marriage. And then they made it good. And then, then, then they provide, I want to tell you, they provide a model for what, what it means to be healthy. And that's one reason why we need to know God. We need to know God to know and understand as it is modeled by three persons in Godhead as to what it means to relate, what it means to connect, what it means to separate, what it means to be together. And in that sense... The image of God that we're going to study today is going to provide a divine model for healthy relationship for all mankind. Amen? Amen? How many of you are interested in learning that? That costs a lot for me to learn it. <laughs> and and uh, we're pretty blessed to be able to study this uh, together. So there is a chart here. This is all you need to know. And then... You find that in this passage, um, verse 26 and 27, you find two sides of the image of God. Okay? What's interesting about Hebrew thought, you know, Hebrew thought is that what, what is seemingly, uh, yeah, please understand very carefully, what is seemingly opposing finds its perfect match and harmony and, uh, um, you know, commonality in God. And so there's two ideas about God, two images of God, and when it comes to humanity, it, it becomes, those two ideas 
can be opposing, but in Godhead, it becomes a source for, um, you know, allowing them to come together in a way that is, that is uh, so uh, really fulfilling uh, in their relationship with one another. So let's go to the first one. It says, let us make men according to what? Our likeness in our what? Image. So what is that one word that, that, that captures your mind? What is that one word about the image of God that captures your mind on, that, on this passage? Verse 26. Our. Yeah, right? Let us make men according to what? Our likeness in our image, right? And so let's just spend some time just talking about, dwelling on this passage as, as to what it means for the image of God to be given in this sort of ourness, togetherness in our images. What does that tell us about the image of God according to this left-hand side? I gave you a hint. See, it is number one, I call it, it is number one, communer or collective, or if I use a little bit difficult word, collectivistic, which means that just more than one person, and therefore it makes it to be plural, right? So more than one person is composed of the image of God, right? Because it consists of what? More than one person, but more than two people, but three people in one Godhead, right? And so it is collective, it is communer, communer. Wow, that's, that's fascinating to me about God. God is in community. Do you realize how God created the first community amongst themselves, villages of God? No wonder people like to what? Live together, create community, create village, right? You know? And then... You know what they did was the one time the psychologist put all the children in the big ground and allowed them to play on their own. Guess what they did? It was a huge playground. And then, and yet all the children started to what? Come closer to the meal and then mingle together. Why? Because we are made by the image of God to be communer, communer people, communer people. Then, then right off of onset of our communication, you can tell that what, what, would be, what would be to be inhuman then? To be human is to be communer. To be human is part of the community. What would be inhumane then? Isolation. You see? You see? I met a lady who has been isolated from the community for the past six months. Whoa, she looks different. You know what I mean? And so we are called to be part of the community and, and part of being collective and, and part of being, uh, being part of the people that are more than one person consists of. It's plural because love necessitates the existence of the uh, other person, right? And, and, and uh, you know, already God is telling us that, you know what, the reason why exists more than one person, two and three, because, because what? We become an object of love for one another, right? And that tells us that. 
Okay, let's just go on. And then it creates the we identity, we identity. And then when you look at it from a cultural perspective, this collectivistic, this we identity oriented, this plural, um, you know, directional aspects of God, that it's called so-called our image is very much what? Very much like what? Asian culture. Asian culture is really into what? Coming together. Becoming one. And I illustrate that with, with, with rice. <laughs> you know, the Asian people, particularly Korean people, a lot of the Asian people, kind of rice that they like is what? It's called sticky rice. <laughs> we like to stick together. We like to stick together. You know? And then that, that, that idea of stickiness, the idea of coming together, idea of creating the village and all that, and being, you know, collectivistic, is the idea that came from the image of God. Isn't that interesting? But one thing I want to tell you, though, if Asian God, <laughs> I have this question. <laughs> if Asian God would were to create human beings, two, two human beings, right? In an effort to reflect their oneness, okay? What kind of human being would they have created? Asian gods come together and they, they decide to create this collectivistic, we-oriented um, you know, God trying to reflect that we identity and ourness and all that by creating two human beings. What kind of human being would they have created? Asian? Asian. <laughs> yeah, it's something that you never thought about, right? You see, they might have created, they might have created because, because Oneness is important, but then in Asian culture, in Asian culture, oneness is encouraged to be established by being similar to one another. In other words, nails that sticks out, sticks out hammered in. You don't want to stick out. You want to be like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, so th there, is the, there is that desire to be like everybody else in an effort to be one. And so, if God were to create oneness being reflected by creating two human beings, he would have created this, in my opinion. He would have created Adam and what? Adam and Adam. <laughs> or to be more precise, to be more precise, he would have created Adam. There's there got to be a hierarchy, though. Okay? In Asian culture, there's got to be a hierarchy. So Adam and Adam, Jr. That would have made it perfect. Or Eve or Eve Jr. But instead, okay, this is where, while we identity is similar to Asian culture, this is where the image of God 
deviates from Asian culture to be more than Asian culture. Instead of creating Adam and Adam, or Adam and Adam Jr., and he created Adam and Eve. Ah, so you're, you're starting to get that, right? You're starting to. So, this fascinates me as an Asian person. And when I was studying that, this fascinates me about God. Because I was, I was fascinated to realize that, wow, Asian collectivist culture came from the Bible. That's great. But it is beyond that. <laughs> That's where it gave me the challenge where, you know what, I'm not here to promote my own culture. I'm here to promote the what? value of God that is beyond culture. Amen? Amen. 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 See you see that? You see where I'm going? Okay. <laughs> so let's do this here. What's fascinating to me is the fact that while in Asian culture, Asian culture, wisdom is important, being together is important, being under the banner of being, you know, um family or Kim's family or Lee's family is important, even coming from the same school is important. Isn't that crazy? Crazy enough to know that when you're walking on the street, you find somebody, let's say another Korean person, and I talk to him or her, and then she said, you know what? Woo! We came from the same village. We came from the same school. You know, our parents are related. And guess what they do? They, then all of a sudden, you invite them over to your house. You may, even though you may never know, this person might be a criminal or whatnot. <laughs> talking about oneness. But in Asian culture, there is, a, there is a demerit, there is a weakness, I want to point out, in that oneness, this is an important point, oneness is wrought by being conformed to the rest. Oneness is created in, in, in the name of what? In view of conformity. You conform with the rest. You know what I'm saying? Almost like what? Almost like communism. <laughs> you conform with the rest. So when I was growing up, I'm nothing against Korean culture, nothing against Asian culture, but each culture is limited. No culture is perfect. Every culture, whether it's American culture, Asian culture, Western culture, whatever the way you want to call it, human culture is not perfect. It's limiting as much as we are limited. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.